Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to... And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by frankenoak.com, where right now you can get their best introductory offer ever, an outfit, pants and a shirt, for 65 bucks. Head to frankenoak.com slash first time, first dash time. If you're the kind of person who thinks that the future of this country is decided upon at a private gathering of billionaires and millionaires and bankers and the prime minister at some remote luxury retreat, you're right. The Globe and Mail's Andrew Willis reported that earlier this summer in Muskoka at the cottage of Don Walker, CEO of Magna International, 30 Canadian executives and bankers and entrepreneurs got together by the lake with Justin Trudeau to figure out the future of the Canadian tech industry. Here is the problem that they were trying to solve, as it was put by RIMS founder Jim Belsilli in a piece that he wrote this past January. In Canada, he wrote, we invented the touchscreen, Ebola vaccine, internet search engine, and YouTube, but we are not making a living from them. Instead, those Canadian inventions are generating hundreds of billions of dollars in prosperity for foreign countries. So this problem is real, and it's been dogging us for years. 
Nortel, Corel, RIM. We just can't seem to sustain and to multiply. And it's something that the Trudeau government has promised to address. But what's the plan? What was discussed on that Muskoka dock? Well, luckily, I know a guy who was there. He's actually one of the people who put the whole thing together. Dan DeBow is a tech guy who co-founded Ripple and WorkBrain, two companies that were later sold to other companies for $227 million and $65 million, respectively. He currently teaches at the University of Toronto Law School, and he's working on a secret new company. And, full disclosure, his parents are old friends of my parents. Another thing that I should probably disclose, my relationship with technology in Canada is not only as a journalist, I was also a co-founder of a startup called Bitstrips. Dan DeBow joins me in a minute. Wait for it. Today's episode is brought to you by Michaela Demers, Diana Catarello, Katie Yancey, Pascal Reichnoju, Elizabeth Collingwood, Kemp Edwards, Jeff Wanamaker, and Danny Kastner. Danny, why did you decide to be awesome? Because Candleland keeps it very interesting, and unfortunately, so much of Canadian media seems to be allergic to interesting these days. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I'm not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is also brought to you by frankandoak.com. I like when frankandoak.com are the sponsor of this show because I actually wear their clothes independent of them being the sponsor of this show. They are the company that got me into buying clothes online. And this is a really good time to check them out if you haven't before because they always have a good deal for listeners of the show. 20% off is usually how it goes. But now they have their best deal ever. 65 bucks for an outfit, pants and a shirt, usually $110 or more. That is what you'll get right now if you go to frankandoak.com slash first dash time. 
Go check it out. All other stuff is curated, very stylish, put together a look that's right for you. And there's no risk to it because if you don't like it, you just send it back. This episode is also brought to you by ShipStation, who have solved a big problem for anybody who sells things online. You want to sell your stuff anywhere you can, so you're probably selling it on eBay, Amazon, Shopify, Etsy, your own site, anywhere. There's like 65 different places that you might be selling your goods, and every time you get an order, you got to go through that site's stuff to figure out the shipping unless you use ShipStation. In the time that it took me to just tell you that, you could have set up an account on ShipStation where it would suck all of your order data from all of those various 65 places and spat out shipping labels that are optimized for the cheapest shipping that you could possibly use. So ShipStation is compatible with Canada Post, UPS, FedEx. They basically figure out the best option and they give you a label that is tailored to that shipper. There's a mobile app, so you can just check in on your orders at one place. It makes things so much easier. It is the number one choice of sellers in North America. You'll save a lot of time. You'll get the best rates. So do not wait. Go to ShipStation.ca, and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. Type in Canada Land for your special offer. That is ShipStation.ca. Enter Canada Land. So you're on the dock. Yep. So Trudeau rolls up wearing a shirt. Fully clothed. Fully yes. clothed. Justin Trudeau joins you mm-hmm. on the dock in Muskoka. Yep. Who else is there? Big CEOs. You had a bunch of tech CEOs. You had a bunch of academics. That was basically who was in the who's in the audience there, and it was hosted uh, by uh, the CEO of RBC and CEO of Magna, artificial intelligence tech people. They were thinking a lot about AI and its impact in Canada. So that's who was there. Galen Weston. Of the Loblaws yeah. Westons? Yep. Yeah, I think he was there. So you got the head of Magna, you got like a billionaire grocer, you got the head of RBC, the Prime Minister of Canada, and then tech people and, and academics. Yeah. Any tech people uh, besides yourself of, you know, you talk about these captains of industry from sort of these legacy Canadian industrial- Sure, sure, sure. You had um, Brendan Frey, who started a company called Deep Genomics, Jordy Rose, who started D-Wave Computing, Ryan Holmes from Hootsuite, Mallory Brody from Bridget, Ted Livingston from Kick. So a bunch of folks, really interesting people, cross-section of different types of tech companies in the country. What were you trying to do? Uh, talk, right? I, I think, you know, sometimes people want to find a deep purpose, and I think there really is nothing more than just... Uh, connections, right? Getting people to talk to each other who don't normally spend time talking. I don't think big company CEOs don't spend that much time with a, f- a fellow like Ted, who's just really interesting, doing something amazing with Kick, uh, and you know, vice versa. I, I, I'm not sure that uh, Mallory Brody, who's got this amazing startup in uh, Waterloo and uh, amazing entrepreneur, uh, gets a chance to sit with you know the head of a giant insurance company or something like that all the time. This has been done a number of times. Just there's never been something like that, as far as I know, in Canada. So last year, um, when the C100 said they wanted to organize something like this, I thought, well, no, great idea. I'll, I'll be happy to come and participate. Okay. But if I were to suggest the following, I'm curious if you'd agree. Okay. We have a problem in Canada when it comes to our tech sector. We have incredible talent that comes out of Waterloo and elsewhere. But something like 300,000 Canadians have taken their talent with them Mm -hmm. to Silicon Valley. Like Trudeau has said, we need to build uh, an economy that's about resourcefulness, not resources. Innovation, innovation, innovation. 
this is a priority of his government. It's a priority of Bill Morneau. And this is a problem that with a handful of really notable exceptions, the challenge of like having an enduring ecosystem where there's money for ideas, uh, ideas have an opportunity to flourish, they're getting the proper support, they can scale up, they don't have to be acquired if they don't need to be acquired. That has like vexed Canada. We could be doing a lot better. Agree or disagree? There's a lot to unpack in, in that statement to agree or disagree with. The last part, could we do better? Sure. Of course we can do better. Everybody can do better. Okay. But go back to the very first thing you said. Oh, there's this problem in Canada. Well, it turns out that problem is actually a problem all sorts of places. You could have the same conversation in Chicago. The Chicago region and area has had tons of migration from Chicago to Silicon Valley. Great talent, great people. Companies there get bought. They don't have the same ecosystem of venture capital. In fact, you could even have the same argument in Boston these days. You know, why are all these great Boston people leaving? Why did Mark Zuckerberg leave Boston, leave Harvard to go to Silicon Valley to start his his company? And so I guess, you know, it's first framing this. This is a common concern all over the planet, I think, and all over not just the planet and countries, but in region states in the United States. So it's not a Canada thing. I think it's everyone but Silicon Valley thing. How's that? So that's the first point. And there are some uh, region states, the region areas that have done better uh, at building economies more around this. So London's been doing better and uh, Boston, as an example, has been doing better. Uh, Tel Aviv and Haifa have been doing better. Mm -hmm. uh, Berlin. Uh, but still, nothing even comes close remotely to what's happened in Silicon Valley. So it's a hard comparison to make. Um, and then the second thing you said was, you know, with notable exception, this is a problem. I mean, I actually have a relatively optimistic view, uh, despite sometimes being a, a bit of a danner when I post on Facebook and things like that about this topic or when I talk publicly. But but I do think actually things are way, way better than they were, uh, you know, a decade ago. And uh, there's a lot more happening. And, and there's a couple of things that make me feel that way. Here's the problem with my personality. Okay, yeah, sure. Go ahead. I think if I, I had... think there's a lot of people listening who would tell you a lot of answers to that question. Here's, here's the problem with your personality, Jesse. Here's one problem with my personality. Okay, yes. I think if I had come in here and said, wow, Dan, you, you've had these two successful companies, a lot of people doing great things. Canada's yeah. fantastic. We're doing so great with tech. Mm -hmm. You could have gone the complete opposite way in this conversation. And I've seen you uh, yeah, on I a soapbox on Facebook. Yeah. I would be like, yeah. no, we, here's the problem. We have problems. Yeah. Let me diagnose yeah. the problem and try to fix the problem. Yeah. But because I've taken this criticism point of view, you're now defending the, but no, there are problems. No, but, but you know, first of all, you have to have in a duality, right? Like I've, uh, so first just to clarify, I, I was part of a very successful company called WorkBrain. I did not start it, uh, but I was there and it was, it was a great experience. And yes, I was a co-founder of a company called Ripple. Uh, but one thing I learned that we were acquired by this amazing, successful company called Salesforce. And I got to work there. You know, Salesforce is the most innovative company in the world. It's been rated that way four years in a row by uh, Forbes or Fortune, whatever. Incredibly successful. You know, it, it is literally, you would just wish that upon anybody starting a tech company. Yeah. Guess what? They've got lots of problems. There are yeah. problems there every day. I, I, you know, spent time with the CEO being upset. I saw senior executives. There's problems. Just because you're doing well, things are going well, doesn't mean that you don't spend your time focusing on making things better. You no, Silicon Valley is bonkers. There's yeah. huge no, problems. No, 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 but, but I'm talking generically. Like, look, uh, you, you're right. You will find me finding problems and ragging on things. And I think we can do better in the way we... Uh, use public money to support the growth of this thing, I think. Let's start there. Oh, What's sure, wrong okay. with the way well, we've been doing it? You're just waiting for something. Okay. No, because this is something that we can talk tangibly here. Like so not, so not, so, so here's what I would say. What's wrong with the public funding? I think, you know, very high level. First thing I would say is we've done a pretty good job to get us to here. 
right? So rather than saying everything we did was crap and was terrible, it's not not true. Uh, generally, we've been in the right direction. Uh, generally, we've put in place programs that encourage people to spend money on engineering and R&D, like Shred. We've got targeted programs like IRAP. What's Shred? Uh, it is a R&D tax credit that you get, basically. You get money back if you hire engineers and they work on true R&D projects. If you do research and development, the government yeah, gives money back. Yeah, they help you fund you. Yeah, so, so, so we've, we've got lots of programs like that. I think the biggest thematic observation I would have is twofold. One, we have less of a faith in capital markets to figure out where we should allocate resources for better businesses, okay? Um, and second is we, we spread the peanut butter too thin, okay? And, and, and uh, what I mean by that is that we have values that are important, equality, fairness, and also, let's put it more tangibly, politicians need to bring home the bacon across the country. And so when we think about, I mean, when I say we, I think when policymakers have thought about the sausage of how do we figure out these programs, they're always trying to give everybody a little bit of something. Uh, and well, when you look at uh, how this plays out, it's often a concentration in a particular area or region or industry that makes a difference. We spent a lot of money as a country building a network of amateur sport and highly competitive pro sport. And Canada participated really well at the global level and at the Olympic level. We didn't win a lot. Yeah. We had lots of participation because everybody got a bit of money. And then the, uh, you know, the Whistler Olympics were coming and we said, we would like to win yeah. um, gold medals. And so we changed the way we did things. We said, you know what? Actually, you get money for winning. You get money for being successful. Uh, you get money for uh, showing that you're a top ranked competitor who has a pretty good chance of actually getting a gold medal. And we funded that program. It was called Own the Podium. Changed the way we allocated funding resources. Didn't spend more, just spent it differently. And what do you know? We won a lot of gold medals. Way mm -hmm. more than we'd ever won before. And even more surprising, Canadians loved it. They weren't upset that, you know, we had, we had had to make a tough choice, which you always have to make about doubling down on winners and how do we get to support success. I think we would probably do well to, to think about that as a model, right? So how do we double down on those who are succeeding? How do we make sure it's not just about giving everyone an equal shot, but actually accelerating those who are doing well so that we can have global champions? Because I think that's really important. You want to have not just a Nortel and a BlackBerry once every 10 years, but you want to have a lot more of those companies a lot more often. And let me interrupt just to say, to complete your analogy, the Shred Credits version of spreading that money fairly and not necessarily prioritizing winners means that anybody who is doing R&D could get that it. cash. That's a great example. We spend three and a half billion. It used to be four and a half billion. Now it's three and a half billion. Four and a half billion, down to three and a half billion. And on a previous episode where I spoke to another entrepreneur, uh, Andrew Lai, we talked about how there was like a mortician company, a mortuary sure, company out sure. there that put, they, they got millions of dollars to build a website. Because when you ask the government to classify what is research and development, what is techie and what yeah. isn't, yes. they're not the best arbiters of that. And then a lot of people just found a way to basically juke the system and, yeah. and, and get some cash out of this. Yes. It wasn't tied to companies that the world needs, companies that can make money, companies <laughs> right. that get bought. Right. So, and, and you know, good, this is why I don't want to, you know, dump on it. it. It was actually a pretty important program. And certainly you could talk to a cross section of the ones who are very successful today and say, you know, they would say Shred was really important early on in their career of a company, right? We wouldn't have been here without it. Now, the problem with that analysis is it forgets the opportunity cost because we spent a lot of money on a lot of companies that never turned into these giant companies today. Sure. And maybe we could do better with it. There's another cost to it too. A smart guy I once spoke to, I think it was you, told me that 
one of the major problems with Shred is that it didn't allow companies to fail. That a lot of people right. Right. Uh, have big successes after they failed a couple times. And all the people yes. who worked at those failures were released right. back into the ecosystem. Under Shred, you can get a company that's not really doing well. And if they weren't getting artificial help from the government, they would probably say, you know what, this idea is just not there. Let's just uh, call it a day and yes. move on to the next idea. But with Shred, like, well, we're still all getting paid here. Yes. So that, as well, that, that, know, that is definitely a fundamental. So the design of Shred is the thing that you we're saying is a challenge. Like the yeah. design of Shred was to be politically neutral and just say, hey, if you do R&D, I think it's also important to understand it's meant to be a generalized uh, impetus to get more R&D spending. And it's important to understand it's got two big objectives. One is for regular companies, the mortician, the fish processor, the, you know, the mining company. We want them to spend money on R&D. And so we created this incentive for them to spend more money on R&D. If you look, by the way, historically, R&D spending is still declining in Canada. Has, I don't think it has made the impact that we want. As a secondary goal, it's to help early stage startup companies be able to recoup some of those things and become sort of a backdoor venture funding basically by the government. And you're right, because it's measuring inputs, that is, you tried to do something. You hired an engineer as opposed to what the business market or the capital markets, which is outputs. You succeeded. You built something people want. They were going to give you more money on it. It tends to create a situation where, and again, I you know I got to check my source on this, but I think the OECD stat is that the average Canadian startup lasts for like six years versus two years in the Valley. Uh-huh. And that seems weird. Like, isn't that good? No, it's not good. You're exactly right. I think you want people to fail, learn stuff, and then move on to the best, most likely idea as opposed to artificially subsidizing them in, so, that, in that thing. So I think that's a challenge. Yeah. I, by the way, I don't think this is a new idea. There was a big report commissioned by the government called the Jenkins Report, and it specifically said we should probably try and be more targeted. That's why the uh, funding went from 4.6 to 3.5 billion. Not everything was implemented in that report, but but you know I think people are aware of the gen- general nature. But I'll tell you something yeah, about you're Shred. Not, this isn't, you're, the real I, I, the real I, problem with Shred is this. Here's okay. the real problem with Shred. If you talk to people in every part of the program, how do they describe it? They don't call it Shred. They call it the free money program. Uh-huh. And here's my, I'm no policy expert, but when you have a program that everyone universally describes as the free money program, something's wrong because there's nothing for free, right? It, it, is a, it is a system that creates no, very little incentive for anybody to say this isn't working well because okay. everybody's benefiting from it. Something's wrong. We, yeah. we got there. Okay, you got there. there and I know that there, I know that on that doc, there was a plan discussed of how things could be better and, I, and we're going to get there in a minute. Before we do, I think we need to lay out the objective though. Why do we want this? You know, I yeah, mean, sure. b- beyond just that, like everybody, like it's cool. It's cool. Like oh, Toronto's a tech hub. Kitchener's a tech, Vancouver's mm-hmm. a tech hub. Everybody wants mm-hmm. that. I was in Saskatoon and they said, we're trying to get this place to be a tech hub. Everybody wants that. Yeah, I know. And I so, don't think everybody, I think the honest truth is not everybody can have that. Okay. That's the first truth. Why, why to ask a dumb question, why is that so important for Canada? To be uh, more innovative. Yeah, sure. So I love, I like Canada. I like the social programs we have here. I like that it's a very wealthy country that takes care of people. Can we do better? Yes, of course. But if you look around the history of humanity and the history of the planet, this is a pretty pretty amazing place that we've got here and the right, and a pretty good balance. Well, that costs something Mm -hmm. and that money's got to come from somewhere, whether you talk about the 1% or not, it has to come from somewhere. Okay. What I think is coming over the next 10, 5, 10, 15 years pick you pick your number is you know massive transformation in the economy driven by this idea of the fourth uh, industrial revolution but really driven by computing power computing power continues to get better uh, moore's law is this this engineering law of the doubling of computing power every 18 months and a decrease by half of the price now that maybe is slowing down but the general trend is continuing and that computing power is then in turn 
powering all sorts of other revolutions. We see a good example is Uber, right? You know, when Steve Jobs held up the smartphone, the first iPhone seven years ago and said, look, it's a, he said, it's a internet communicator. It's an iPod. It's a phone all together in one device. There is precisely zero people on the planet who said, well, that's the end of the cab industry. Yeah. But within five years, by adding a GPS chip, right, by adding technology, started to figure out a new business model that could disrupt that traditional and existent job structure. We talk, if, you know, it's ad nauseum. You hear about uh, self-driving cars. Um, if you think about what's happening in uh, precision medicine or genomics, there is a lot of change coming. The ultimate driver is computing power uh, and software that's written for that computing power. But what's happening, and this is the interesting thing, is it's moving from oh, that's a tech thing. It's a tech industry. It's just like you've built tech as an industry to this is part of every industry. You're talking about the Internet of Things right now. I'm not talking about just the Internet of Things. I'm talking, which is which is putting sensors and in, 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 in internet connectivity in basically every device on the planet. I'm talking about the confluence of all these things, mm -hmm. right? Which is that the idea came... Um, uh, from a guy named Ray Kurzweil, I think, it's, it's the idea of accelerating exponential, that we've gone through in human history uh, something called linear growth, right? We just keep getting better at a consistent rate. But what's starting to happen now is that doubling every 18 months is really hard for human brains to understand something that keeps doubling, right? Because if you keep doubling over a while, you start getting something called an exponential curve. We, as human beings, don't experience that. It's hard to imagine what kind of change that would bring. And I think what's happening now with the internet broadly accessible with wireless accessible, with computing power getting better, with artificial intelligence getting better, and with software essentially eating the world. It's starting to infiltrate trucking, airlines, mining, you know, cab drivers, healthcare. It's no longer just tech. It's every industry. It's the way that we work. And so go back to my main point. This tidal wave is coming. It's coming whether we like it in Canada or not. And we may be buffered from it a little bit, but this massive change in the way our economy works is coming. And so we have a choice. We can we can do three things, I think. We can we can actively fight against it and push and say, we're going to stop the future from coming to our country. The second thing we can do is uh, deny it. This is not happening. That's a science fiction fairy tale. That's a great story for Silicon Valley hypesters. And, you know, your math is wrong. And, eh, okay, fair enough. Or you can just get ready for it. You can accept that this is what is going to happen. There's going to be a lot of change. And so we have to rethink our economy and say, how do we have an economy that can thrive in this world? How do we make sure that we create, back to my main point, an economy that generates wealth, jobs, creates new things, and in particular, creates new things that the rest of the planet wants, not just us, so that we can maintain this quality of living and standard of living and all the things that we think makes us great as Canadians. That's why I think it matters. I think it matters that we transition our economy and figure out how we can start creating the kind of wealth that is possible, but also from a downside protection, protect us, protect our industries. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, look, here we are. We're doing a podcast. I don't see you having a radio license, do you? Right? I don't think you own a radio station, yet somehow I think you're one of the most listened to people in the country. There's a good example of change that's coming. And, and you know, we're kind of like, you know, like the proverbial frogs in the boiling pot. No one seems to really think this is happening, but it's happening. That was awesome. And I would go to your TED Talk. And you flattered me. Yeah. Um, I think it's all in there, but I think it's still abstract for people when you say, prepare the economy, uh, we need to create wealth. I think we're fucked if we don't do this. I, I think if you look yeah. at, the, at Canada's economy- yes. There's huge pieces of the pie that are like natural resources and financial services. Yes. And we're already seeing there's just no fucking jobs 
if you're not in those areas. Like, like there's all kinds of industries we have that support. You've got, you know, th- things like law and, and you, like there's all kinds of things that like, but they, they, they go away if there isn't industry. And we have done really well past 100 years because we've had so many natural resources. Yep. And, and we're next to a giant market and yeah. generally no one's been invading us. There's lots of things that we're lucky for, yes. So when it comes to Uber, which you bring up, the controversy here has been, oh, Uber versus taxi. And I don't think that's the real controversy. For me, the real issue from a Canadian perspective with Uber is there's just no question in my mind that Uber or something exactly like it, probably Uber, is going to just take over the cab industry. And if it is Uber, 25% of that industry now belongs to an American company. Like you just flip a switch and, and an industry that was once every dollar of that Every part of that ecosystem was within our country and was taxed at every level yep. is now just boom. 25% of a major industry is now an American industry. Now, it's worth noting that when you disrupt something like cabs and turn it into a software company, the number of jobs yeah. decreases significantly, I think. Yeah, but it's also worth noting, like just to take, let's pick on that example, which is this is not always a zero-sum game. So a couple things to note. Number one, uh, the co-founder of that company is a Canadian. Uh-huh. Okay, so let's talk about that, right? The guy, he is, a, we start off with these 300,000. So, you know, he, Garrett Camp left Calgary, started Uber, right? Why is he not doing it here? Number one question. So, and, and is it a net net loss or net benefit? The second is um, when you disrupt an industry, like it's happening because you create more liquidity in our transaction, uh, sorry, in our transport infrastructure. And arguably you could see a lot more jobs created as people are able to move around better. Or as you see musicians and artists and the people that I actually saw when this whole Uber fight was going on, sort of saying, hey, I need that. It helps me get to my job faster because now I can get to transport quicker. So I, I don't, I think we have to be really careful about the sort of everything's going to the Americans are taking all our money. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's um, there's a way to create wealth for all of us. Uh, but but a fair point. Yes, the point is that... But it speaks that, directly to this, to this thing we're discussing. Is, yeah. Do you want that company? Are we just going to be the cheerleading? Oh, he's Canadian. We love Canadians. Yeah. Or do we would we have rather Uber have been built in Canada? I think the answer is a clear yes. Yeah, sure. Right? For sure. For sure, we would have rather it be here. I mean, yeah. there's no question. And we'd rather Netflix have been started here. And we'd rather Facebook have been started here. We'd rather Google have been started here. I mean, that's the point. Yeah. The point of the kind of critique I gave earlier about not concentration is that like those giant companies that become global platforms for other people to build businesses around are really important. Yeah. They create lots of jobs, right? They create spin-off economies, right? eBay seems like an old economy company. It's still a pretty big company. You know, there are millions of people. Another one with Canadian roots, right? Uh yes. Jeff Skoll is Canadian. Right. And he was the first president there. Yeah. So, you know, look, I, I, I take your point. It's a good point. It's one of the good reasons. And if that's what rallies people, like, don't let the, the, the Yankee imperialists take our money. Fine. <laughs> it's I, it's I think got shades a, of xenophobia that nobody's that comfortable yeah. with, but we, but we don't want to just be customers in the future. That's right. right that's right. And, 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 you know, frankly, let's, let's talk about another example where, uh, you know, we feel strongly about cultural protection and CanCon, whether you agree or disagree. It's pretty obvious that Netflix is disrupting that. Yeah. Right. And that was like a two year period that happened really fast. Right. All of a sudden, boom, people are cutting the cord and they're like, I'd rather just watch Netflix and I can use a proxy server to go get that content over there. And it sort of upends a lot of the ways things are done. Or if everyone's listening to podcasts, like how do we control music content or, you know, there's a lot of things that make us who we are that start to become uh, more difficult. Uh, So, yeah, maybe there's a Canadian nationalist element. I think I'd like to focus on the positive upside, which is 
we need to be ready to make some money in the future and we have to get our economy ready for these things that are going to happen. And I think, you know, um, like I said, I think it's just a challenging, you know, one other thing you talked about Uber as this uh, disruption. I think the interesting thing about Uber is it's not really disrupting the cab industry. Okay. What it disrupted was the regulatory framework. You could go back to it. It's an interesting example of yeah. like, what the F happened? You you know, you, you saw city councilors upset. They were upset, not really because they cared about the cabs, but they're like, hey, wait, that's our job. Right. And, and this American tech company figured out how to like go directly to the people. Now, maybe there's a sort of neoliberal, neoliberal critique that that's just, you know, replacing democracy with capitalism. Fair point. But I still feel like you're going to see that again and again, where 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 companies will say, that's interesting that we have this regulatory framework. We think we can do something different or better. We're going to get there faster. And you'll start seeing the change both not just in our com- in our industries, but also how we regulate. How do we respond to it? Um, and some jurisdictions, for example, the United Kingdom is trying to encourage more financial services innovation by creating this kind of passport level where you can sort of get a buy to a certain extent on a lot of the very onerous restrictions on financial services below a certain level because they want to encourage people to come up with new ideas. And they know that sometimes the onerous restrictions on financial services, which are there to protect consumers and encourage fairness and transparency, but sometimes they can be too difficult for a new startup to create and, and get around. I think so, that, I think that, so anyways, that's, that's sort of one of the No, things. that's really interesting because I, I think that in a Canadian context, that's just it. Uh, they flipped the script on us. I mean, I, I, I later, uh, earlier I attributed it to, you know, we have all these natural resources. Uh, and you pointed out, yeah, but we're also next to this big market. And that's worked so well for us in the past. In the past, it's been a really enviable position we've had to hang back and in a very Canadian way, wait and see how a product totally. plays out in America. And then just do the same thing here. It'll probably play out more or less the same. We could let them take the big risks. And it actually was profitable, I think, in Canada, Canadian industry, to follow. Yeah. And I think that what's changed now is that following, you're fucked if you're a follower. If you're, if you're the country, though, that can go with the flow and doesn't get bogged down by, you know, like it should be harder for the states to re-regulate around a disruptive technology than Canada. You know, cultural issues aside, we're smaller. We, we, you know, you, you would think that it's the kind of thing where a smaller player could say, okay, let's allow for drone delivery of Amazon yep. boxes. And then we can suddenly uh, leapfrog yep. and, and be a leader as opposed to, you know, but it's really at odds with the Canadian temperament. Yes, it is. And and I think your point, by the way, uh, so I just read this paper this morning. Uh, uh, about five years ago, there was this thing called the Jenkins Report, which was Tom Jenkins, the CEO of OpenText and a bunch of other notables to examine how much we spend money on all these programs like Shred and all this alphabet soup we mentioned before. They came up with a bunch of recommendations. And so an academic, I think at University of Alberta or Calgary, I can't remember, wrote a five-year follow-up. And he had this great observation, which I actually believe is true. And this does go to the core of a lot of Canada, or what we think we are as Canadians. And his point was this, look, you can you can fiddle at the edges on getting people to spend more money on R&D. You can do all these things. But the fundamental reason that Canadians don't innovate as much as Americans do generally is that they've innovated as much as they've had to. Yeah. That if you go through the economy and look at all the areas where our economy is protected in one way or the other, whether it's through regulation, through some sort of, um, you know, uh, Canadian content rules, you know, telcos, banking airlines, uh, book selling, like it just a lot parts of the economy have some level of mediated competition relative to the Americans. At the end of the day, innovation comes from a competitive environment. You know, you got to you got to do it because you got to survive and succeed. And 
I think that's probably one of the, it's a tough subject because to really unlock, oh my gosh, we're going to be a much more embedded innovative company, a country, we have to probably become a much more competitive country, which would mean going back to your point about opening ourselves up to lots more foreign competition. And that's a challenge. It's a paradox, right? It's yeah, hard we, to Yeah, we protected our markets and, and yeah. supply chain management. That's yeah. the Canadian way. And, and, and just one thing I want to point out, like we talk about this as if it's one thing. There are really two important things. There is how do we get Canadian, call them traditional companies to be more innovative. Everything from the big banks to the, you know, the fish processor out east and the and the mining company and, uh, you know, you, what the travel company in Vancouver, whatever. How do you get existing companies to spend more on innovative delivery of products and services? I want to and return then, to and that. There's, and there's a second part, which is okay. how do you get like disruptive startup companies to grow and become huge employers in their own right? And they're often talked about in the same way. Shred is an example of a program that hits both of those, but they're not the same thing. No, they're very they're different very things. different things. I both just, of those things have to happen, by the way. I just want to digress for a second because you made me think of this, um, and I'll butcher this um, idea that I think Michael Geist had. Geist was talking about RIM and the BlackBerry and how this was a very Canadian innovation because we have... Uh, even more so at the time, shitty telecom, shitty, uh, uh, you know, monopolistic, oligopolistic telecom. And the BlackBerry was devised to send email around in an environment where you have to pay for every byte. That that it was making as economical, it was a starvation device. It's like if data is is incredibly, exorbitantly, extortionistically expensive, this is how you can get your email on the go. And they created the most efficient gadget for getting your email because they were adapting to a Canadian. So they were completely ill-prepared for Steve Jobs' innovation, which was like, hey, I imagine the data is going to get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. So this is, it's full color. You're going to have apps on it, music, podcasts, everything. That is completely inimical to the to the rim way of doing things, which was like, this is for getting you the bare bones of what you need. It's not going to be pretty, but you're going to get, you know, for a business user. And and we got eaten alive. And we, we basically invented the smartphone here. Right. And now we're like a minor player in that massive, massive right. industry. Yes. Anyhow. But I know. I, look, I, I think the, the, yes. So I think the point that you're making is like, hey, having our players be exposed to these global competitive forces tend to matter. And like from a, an economist perspective, what that does is increase productivity, which is the magic elixir. Because like, you know, we're growing our economy at like one to one and a half percent. But a lot of our assumptions about all the social programs require 3% growth. Yeah. So where's that growth going to come from? Well, it has to be new. Either our existing companies become way better at selling stuff abroad and here, uh, and our growth companies are going to become much bigger, much more successful pretty fast. So take me back to that Muskoka doc where you had your super rich guy conference and you figured out- Not everybody was super rich. That's not true. Okay. Um, but the people who were super rich were rich enough to cover those who were not super rich. Sure, so it all, sure. You know, Fair on enough. average, create everyone there's on average and everyone there's a multimillionaire. So I chat on a couple of the themes that I think um, that came out of that. I think one of them was thinking about some of the things that are truly unique to Canada, or at least we have an advantage in, that are going to be important in the future, and how can we support them? Our problem is no longer startups, it's scale-ups, right? Like, how do we take the company that's at 10 million in recurring revenue and get it to 100 to 200? How do we take the company that's at 75 and turn it into a billion, multi-billion dollar scale-up business? Um, and I think the answer there is is capital. Just to, to break this down for people who are not familiar okay, with, sorry, with uh, sorry. like- I'm talking uh, fanky lingo. No, it's 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 uh, it's fairly straightforward. I, I'll, I'll relate this to, to my experience when I, I played a small role in a yep. startup. And what I think we found uh, was that- when you make your pitch, you need money to build a company. Yep. And, and you know, when you make your pitch to the very few Canadian venture capital funds out there yep. that exist, they you, you almost had to tap dance 10 times as hard 
for a tenth of the possible money. That they the, the attitude seemed to be. It reminded me actually of pitching things in a, in a media entertainment context. Yep. Rather than saying, "Oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be a huge success," everybody was sort of wired towards being like, "This is going to fail. Prove to me why it's not going to fail." <laughs> right. And they they give you a much harder time in order to maybe get a much smaller amount of money. Whereas when you go to the American firms. It's like, no, this is real. You actually can do well if you make the right bets. And we're, we're, we want this to be a good idea. And if you, you know, uh, if we want to do business with you, the numbers are a lot more advantageous. And then you get, and then the, the Canadian comes in after the American company says, okay, we'll do it. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, you know, I don't want to, you know, knock on Canadian VCs. So a couple comments. I'd say, first of all, uh, it's not like they're just handing out free money in Silicon Valley. There's there's as many people, or in fact, there's 10 times more people who get struck out and fail and complain about VCs and their short-sightedness and how come they're not seeing what I see in Silicon Valley. It's just there's way more of them. There's way more competition. So what you think, I think what you really see there is just much more competition. There are way more people with dollars chasing after them. And that's at all levels. You have a lot more um, wealth of entrepreneurs who've made some money and then want to reinvest it. That's that's a, And they do it not just to make money, but actually as a sort of giving back, paying it forward kind of thing at the early stage angel level. And then all the way up, you'd have more competition for the best deals as they go up up the sort of, uh, you know, from the first 100,000 to the first million to the first 10 million inside these B, businesses. Around B, around C, that's, yeah, and that's where exactly. really needs some help. Yeah, and so look, my, my advice was just, my suggestion coming out of this doc was that the government should try and get out of the business of running its own VC funds and being an investor in VC funds. And it should just say, look, if you can raise money from a qualified uh, venture investor, then the government will match you get you know do the same thing that shred does which is get the government out of the business of deciding that that company's worthy or this company blackmailed us and said if we don't go we'll go to alberta or we'll go, sorry we'll go to alabama if you don't and, and take 100 jobs with us if you don't give us this money which i, I hate when companies do that uh and it is real um but we just say look if you can raise money in the private markets which is a pretty good proxy for a, your good idea we're going to match that money and so what will happen is that you will double down on the winners you'll concentrate you'll do that own the podium thing you'll say and hey what's the proof just like the best runners in the world tend to win and then they should get more money from the government. Well, if you can raise capital in the private markets, you probably is as good a bet as any that you're probably going to be one of the few who could be successful. You're leaving the gambling to the experts. Basically. Yeah, that's my basic point. And, and, and you know, you, you talked about Shred and you said, oh, let the government figure out who is a real R&D project or not. I mean, people don't realize it. It's not just the government. It's the CRA. Yeah. Like this, this is the tax people go off and figure out whether your project is a real legitimate R&D project. So I think the, the the idea is just get the government out of the business of choosing, leave it to the private market that's actually doing a better job than it used to be. So for example, there are a lot more successful entrepreneurs in Toronto, for example, who are writing checks for early stage companies. Yeah. Let's help them. Let's say, hey, if you sold a company and you made some money and you want to double down, I'll tell you a story, uh, a different type of program that we could do um, is uh, I just had the founder, a guy who created Alexa. You know, the, the, the Amazon Echo yeah, sure. product? Website, yeah, sure. Website ranking thing. No, 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 no. That's different. This is Amazon Echo, which is an artificial intelligence uh, in, in a little box. It's extremely successful. Uh-huh. It's an AI. It's like the Amazon version of Siri, except it really, really works really well. So it's doing, doing great. Siri, but it works. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So anyhow, the guy sold his company to Amazon, did successfully. And you know what he's doing right now? He's running around the United Kingdom trying to find companies to invest his money. Why? Because he gets to defer the capital gains that he got on that investment. And so the United Kingdom says, look, we want people who've made money in tech to put that money back to work in tech. We don't want you to just park it in the stock market and make money there. That's great. You're going to be another rich guy living, you know, another of Thomas Pitkey's capital recurring capital. Yeah. Well, no, we want you to actually invest and help and mentor. Well, Keep we, it in play. We could do that. Here. Okay. That sounds entirely rational to me. Uh, I, I'm sure there's a critique of that, but it's uh, beyond my pay grade to know what it is. That sounds like it makes a lot of sense to me. Why on earth 
do you need the head of Magna and 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 the and the Westons <laughs> and RBC? Those are those people should be quaking in their boots about the, like, there's the disruptors and then there's the the disrupted the old guard of Canada. I think they should be there because. Uh, a couple reasons. One, uh, they care about their own companies. There, and, and as Canadians, we should want you know uh, uh, Loblaw and RBC to succeed. We want, should want them to do well and be able to re- to react because, frankly, a lot of Canadians depend upon those companies. Uh, you don't want them to necessarily get destroyed, or at least you want them to have a fighting chance. So I think it's pretty encouraging that those businesses actually care and take it seriously. The second reason is they control a lot of resources. Two kinds of resources that are really important. One, they are amazing potential customers. You know, one thing that you will universally hear from Canadian startups is it's really hard to sell to Canadian companies at first. I mean, I I firsthand. Mm-hmm. Can tell you that like it, you know it was ironic and it happens again and again where you have this amazing idea you alluded to it before you you try and sell it here well is it proven yet why don't you go get some big name american customers come back and tell us when it's proven mm-hmm. that's crazy right one of the reasons silicon valley works is you can walk down the street and find customers right and until we can put all the startup money we want and all the talent here but if you can't find customers locally very difficult to build your business so i think those companies in some ways represent the potential of shifting of and it, it works nicely they want to be more innovative they should be buying more from from innovative so com- encourage companies them to get on board yeah. for that reason second okay. set of resources that they control is they do have large amounts of capital to mm-hmm. invest, right? They could be investing in venture funds. They could be directly investing. You know, see lots of big American companies have direct investment programs. They could be helping to solve this capital problem. So that's that's a really important one to think about. Um, I think there's a third one. Those big companies, when they start doing something, people pay attention. And they start thinking about the conversation. It's an important conversation. Guess what? It worked. You are now, you called me up. Hey, what's this thing? Hey, it's in the paper. You had this thing. What's going on? Why is this occurring? Well, it worked. <laughs> okay. Because guess what? Now people are talking and people who listen to All this right. are thinking about, oh my gosh, innovation is coming to this country. It's not just something for like some dude in a hoodie. And it's not just some sort of thing that happens in Uber and I'm upset. It's actually something that's going to affect our country. And it actually implicates our healthcare system, our education system, our, our, our resource system. How do we respond? This is a national conversation. So Galen Weston was there as a news hook. Okay, maybe. Uh, well, look, I, you asked me what I think. No, no, I, don't okay. know why. I can't tell you why. I don't know why he look, was there. Look, tech money is yep. about looking at the old guard, looking at the inefficiencies and the way things have been done, yep. and absolutely just flipping the whole system on its head. Yeah, but it's and not that it's means not young that there man. are winners and losers. Yeah, of course. So you, 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 if, if, bringing in to that discussion the very people who have the most invested in things staying exactly how they are. That doesn't sound like that's who you want at that table to me. I, I and I know I, that people I, like I, the Molsons and others. Have... I, I, first of all, that's not every big company in the country. I okay, think but, the but people, this... the, the the CEOs who showed up, actually care about this, and they actually, you know, if you can look at RBC, you can look at how much money they're spending on innovation. You can look at internally how their practices are changing around using agile iteration. I mean, I think that's one example. I think traditionally the banks in Canada have yeah, been a part of the tradi- problem. Traditionally, I think. yes, traditionally, but the, my point is these things are changing, and, and I think you know, I look, I think that there's a romantic view that like it's all about rage against the machine. We should go fight and take down the big companies. But if you look at the reality, uh, and this is actually a misnomer. This is something that happens in Canada. We sort of think of it. Big tech is big business in the United States. It's not just like young, you know, it's not just Sean Parker. 
It's right. a lot of very old money people who have saying this is a valid asset class. We should be investing in the future. It's actually sometimes very wealthy old money have the best tolerance of the risk that represent yeah. is represent because they can they don't have to get their money back next week. They have money that they can put aside and say over the next twenty years we want to get returns on this. Go invest in crazier ideas and longer term bets and things that are important. And and that so it's it's just you're a, the you're the romantic one. Look at you you're nuzzling <laughs> up to these old wealthy men. Maybe, maybe you're right. Up no, to anybody. I'm just telling like, you the what facts. About, what about, I, idealistic vision you have of these of these uh, octogenarian billionaires. Maybe. I, 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 it's not idealistic. No, I, no, it's look, realistic. That is their self-interest. I'm just trying to give you the facts, which is, I think, your view is like sort of a big jaded or not jaded. It's just it's clouded. Totally it's, not, it's not it's the truth of what actually too. is how this is happening. You, you, I, I think the point I'm really trying to get to yeah. is it is impossible if you care about the country and you care about where we started this thesis, that it's about helping us all become much more productive, much more competitive, and build businesses that generate wealth that make Canada what it is, you cannot just do that on the backs of startups. And it can't even be just be growth companies. It has to be our major pillars of our economy becoming much more competitive, figuring out how they have a part to play in this innovation change that's happening. And if they're concerned and worried, great, harness it, use it, get those things happening, have those conversations happen. Um, I, I, I think there's nothing, nothing bad about that. That's all good. That is your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me at any time. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all and I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. I make this show with Katie Jensen, who is also the producer of The Imposter, and the next episode of The Imposter will be out on Wednesday. Commons and Shortcuts will be back next week. We make this show available for free to community and campus radio stations across this country. We've got a couple of dozen stations, I think more than that now, doing it. And that is possible because Russell Gregg handles it for us. Thank you, Russell. If you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.